This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hello, I'm Sumiko Tan, Executive Editor of The Straits Times. Welcome to the Lunch with Sumiko podcast series, where I get up close with newsmakers over lunch and a selfie. The issue at hand is a society that's changing and people will embrace whatever lifestyle that they want on the basis of their own personal freedoms. But we also have a religious um, segment within our community from different backgrounds, traditions, including the Muslim community, who may hold on to certain values and beliefs, including on LGBT. Now, how do you reconcile that with the rest of society? In March 2020, Dr. Nasiruddin Mohammad Nasir was appointed as Singapore's new Mufti. As Mufti, he oversees key religious rulings that guide the Muslim community. His first two and a half years have been eventful. There was the COVID-19 pandemic, where he had to help Muslims adapt to safe distancing measures when it came to their religious obligations. More recently, there was the repeal of Section 377A of the Penal Code, which criminalises sex between men. The repeal raised concerns among some in the community. I'm Sumiko Tan, Executive Editor of The Straits Times. I'm having lunch with Dr. Nazaruddin at Harley Restaurant in the Botanic Gardens. He tells me how he sees his role in multi-religious Singapore. How do you see your job as Mufti? I think the role of the Mufti itself has evolved a lot. Historically, the Mufti is really just about providing religious guidance in terms of answering questions. You know? But I think in Singapore, it's a bit different. The Mufti is not just answering questions. In fact, a lot of um, consultation needs to be done. A lot of engagement and persuasion needs to be done. The Mufti's role is to provide leadership and example in how we build a thriving multi-religious, multicultural society. So that requires a lot of uh, uh, the Mufti's time engaging with different stakeholders, agencies, uh, the government, you know, with friends from other communities, other religious leaders, because all these help you to really understand what you're dealing with. So social cohesion is right at the top of our list of priorities. It's not just an expectation of living in a society like Singapore, but it's actually an expectation of our faith itself. How do you live your faith peacefully, harmoniously, coexist with tolerance and understanding with other societies? I need to lead by example and I need to do even more than that. So I started this tradition of writing to religious leaders on their festive occasions, um, writing letters to them, wishing them well and showing solidarity that you know together we built Singapore and, and built a very cohesive society. So when you write to the other leaders, um, do you get replies? Definitely yes and, and, and they write in even better and, and very warm ways and, and you know it really helps build and strengthen relations between communities and there's a lot of goodwill and trust between us. At least at the leadership level, we know that we can rely on each other uh, in times of crisis. Uh, when there are issues, we can resolve them well. Um, and I hope our respective communities you know, see these examples and they too preserve very good relations with each other. Are there peculiar concerns of younger Muslims in Singapore, you think? I think that there certainly are, if I could summarise broadly. It's about how do you live your faith in a, in a changing environment? Um, how is faith relevant? And how can faith adapt to that changing environment? So they're always concerned about this. And it takes different features and forms, you know. 
whether it's a social media, whether it's a new issues like, you know, LGBT, etc. And it's not just Singapore. People are exposed to all sorts of um, information and cultures from anywhere and everywhere because of the internet and social media. I think it's my duty and the duty of religious leaders and teachers as well to keep the younger generation connected to their faith and to what I would call a a more appropriate form of faith because there are other versions that may come up as reactions to and we have seen this you know in in some very unfortunate examples of extremism and and radicalism for example as a, as a way of to respond to the modern world when you are not able to deal with the modern world uh, with confidence you begin to resort to very extreme forms of expression and that, that's a very big concern so I think it's important to put forth a, a moderate uh, contextualized and relevant way of uh, expressing your faith uh, and you have to be very creative about it and you need to be able to engage them and show them the confidence that you know they can have in the leaders so the language has to change the posture has to change uh, examples have to change and, and they will respect you from what they see do you have an example so for example the fatwa on wearing of headscarf for women and for nurses i think there is a recognition that the fatwa empowers Muslims to consider their own circumstances and conditions and we offer them principles um, whilst we reiterate that the you know in a religious requirement religious teaching for Muslim women to cover up but there are contexts and situations circumstances they have to consider and if if in those situations they are not able to put on their tudong because of certain considerations it's okay for them uh, it's not sinful and and that approach of empowering is something that they really appreciate and they have not seen. Often you will find uh, imams or leaders telling you, you can do this, you cannot do this, you know, it's permissible, it's not. As opposed to, now I give you the principles, you apply it to your life. You make your own decision. So, Mufti, what was it like, um, you know, leading the community on the repeal of 377A? I often resist the temptation to um, oversimplify things. 377A is not about homosexuality, period. A, there's the legal dimension, and B is also about coming to terms with a society that has changed in some ways, a lot more open, very diverse, and people are prepared to express themselves in very different ways, and ways that you may not necessarily agree with. So, even in our community, the Muslim community, there is uh, the tendency to say that it's a very simple issue. It's, homosexuality is forbidden in Islam. So your job is to tell people it's haram and that's it. They know, sorry, that's not the case. It's not about not knowing whether it's forbidden or not. It's not that. That is not the issue at hand. The issue at hand is a society that's changing and people will embrace whatever lifestyle that they want on the basis of their own personal freedoms. But we also have a religious um, segment within our community from different backgrounds, traditions, including the Muslim community, who may hold on to certain values and beliefs, including on LGBT. Now, how do you reconcile that with the rest of society? As Muslims, we broadly have a position on this, but we cannot and should not impose it on others. At the same time, we must respect the right of others to express themselves differently. Otherwise, you will have a very divided, broken society where everybody fights. I think we haven't gotten to the point where we have enough confidence to debate this openly without 
necessarily uh, fall into the trap of judging others almost immediately. So that's something we need to work on. So my, my task is to really help guide the Muslim community on how to look at it in, in this light. And what I'm doing now is to have a lot of conversations with fellow religious Asatiza, the teachers. They have recognized that this is a very big challenge and I told them this is the challenge of our generation, of how our society is evolving. And it will clash with some of our values and principles. Now how do we, how do we adjust to that? How do we find a solution to that? We need to talk about it. Thanks very much for Thank meeting so, Lati. Thank you so much for your time and opportunity. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Lunch with Sumiko, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Check out my previous interviews with newsmakers and don't forget to subscribe to Lunch with Sumiko on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. That was a podcast by The Straits Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O.